1: Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Now, the show, of course, is about you. We're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here, as well as get some free content, drills, exercises that'll help you become more charismatic and confident. By signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com, we have also got some kick-ass networking eBooks and a bunch of stuff that's free that we just give away to our list. So if you want all that stuff, you got to go there. If you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at the Art of Charm live programs here in Los Angeles, check out the Art of Charm Toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com/toolbox. That's where you'll get the fundamentals such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, dating attraction, networking, negotiation, blah blah blah. You've heard it before. And we've got our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California, theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp, or give us a call here in the office, 888 7177 or email me. I'm Jordan at theartofcharm.com. I read everything, and I'm looking forward to meeting all of you here in Los Angeles. Today, we're talking with my friend Mark Devine. He's a former SEAL commander. He was the honor man, which means he graduated number one in his SEAL class, number 170, back in the day, which is if SEAL class wasn't hard enough, Bud's wasn't hard enough. He graduated top in his class. He's also a New York Times bestselling author of The Way of the SEAL and Eight Weeks to SEAL Fit, and it makes sense. I mean, writing a book is no sweat after you graduate top in your class from Bud's. He's also the founder of NavySEALs.com, SEAL Fit Training, and books and services called The Unbeatable Mind, which is kind of what we're gonna focus on here today. We're gonna talk about stress control through breath, Emotional control in life and how exercise, physical components, emotional, mental components bleed over into regular day life and why these things are inseparable. Intuition and trusting your gut and a whole lot more. We get pretty deep in this one. It's awesome. So enjoy this one with Mark Devine. Yeah, I mean, you were a former SEAL commander, honor man, which I never knew what an honor man was. That's cool. So they rank you while you're in training to find out who's got the balls of steel or whatever.
0: <laughs> Pretty much it, it goes more than you know it goes beyond the balls of still. The, the reason they chose the word on a man is because it has to do with your character, and yes, the physical standards, you have to be you know number one across the board. um You don't have to win everything, but you know it's kind of like the CrossFit games. you have to be good at everything and be in the top you know five percent at everything you do, and then um you have the peer review, and so you you have to essentially be a good teammate and a good leader. And then you're reviewed by the instructors, also uh, based on your character and your, you know, your ethos, um, how you hold yourself, and whether you're, you know, whether they want you as a teammate. So it really is comprehensive, and also academic.
1: I watched GI Jane. That's my Ah, pretty much my experience, and I remember everybody falling asleep, and she stayed up and wrote the essay. Right. (laughs) So that's what I know of Navy SEAL training.
0: Completely accurate. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sure. And that and people. Or or at least maybe this was just in the movie. Remember when they're doing sit ups and the salt is rubbing against your that part of your butt that like always is in contact with the sand and there's sand in there too. And they put like a tampon over it. Is that a real thing or is that just some crap they put in because they were like, Oh, it's good for the movie?
0: That's definitely a movie thing. Okay. I mean but, you get rubbed raw all over the place.
1: Yeah. I figured they would probably crack down on a bunch of dudes having tampons in the barracks. <laughs> During buds, but I, I don't know. You know, I that's why you're here to dispel these types of myths. He also re- wrote a great book, well, a couple of great books that did really well: The Way of the Seal, Eight Weeks to Seal Fit, and uh, you got NavySeals.com. So that must have been early in the game when well, nobody thought to buy that.
0: Yeah, I picked that up in 1997.
1: Yeah, lucky timing.
0: Thirty-five bucks.
1: Yeah, sure. Wow, from some kid or something like that. No,
0: I bought it direct. I was the first owner.
1: Oh wow. Oh yeah, that's right. Domains used to be expensive. Remember that?
0: Yeah, dude.
1: Yeah. Like a hundred like thirty five was a bargain. I think domain dot com domains were a hundred bucks back in the day.
0: Yeah. yeah. But I still kick kick myself for not buying a whole bunch more. You know? uh,
1: well, yeah, and investing in Apple and Yahoo and Google. Yeah. Too. yeah sure. Sure. Yeah, you can stop kicking yourself now. It's okay. There's a lot of people joining you on that one. There's enough people kicking themselves for both of us. Tell us what you focus on at your academy. I mean, you've got a live academy, you also have the online training as well, but what is it that you teach? Because not everybody can be a Navy SEAL, right? So it's not just making people run in the sand and the surf, I would imagine.
0: Right. There's kind of two versions of, of what I do. And I would say what I do is integrated warrior development. And what I mean by that is I seek to develop the individuals, people who, you know, are, are attracted to this type of training and this lifestyle to meet their fullest potential as a human. And I use a method I call integrated training or integrated development, which means that I integrate training of different intelligences that we have as human beings. And, and there's five that I primarily focus on, and those are physical. So when we, instead of working out, we look at it as training the physical body to achieve a level of performance and readiness, right, to um, accomplish basically any task or anything you, you focus on in life. So it goes well beyond working out this training. And also mental. So mental be the second one. So we train our minds. We train our minds to be more focused, alert, to be more aware. Uh, We train our memory. We train, you know, our uh, ability to tap into our creativity and use our whole mind. And then the third mountain is emotional development. And so, you know, certainly one thing that SEALs need a copious supply of is emotional control. And, you know, I would say probably one of the main reasons that 80% of the candidates fail SEAL training is. Lack of emotional control, and that means the ability to get kicked in the balls day in and day out for fifteen hours a day, and to be able to get back up with a smile and say, "Thank you, sir," may I have another. You know, yeah, yeah. And so we develop emotional resiliency, and then um, the fourth is intuition. You know, learning how to really trust your gut and pay attention to the inner signals, whether they become you know come from imagery or sensations, and that is a high, you know the higher, more refined art of the warrior. And then the fifth is what I call Kokoro spirit. And I use the term Kokoro and I call my, one of my training programs Kokoro, um, because there's really no English word that does it justice. It's a Japanese word that means to merge your heart and your mind into your actions. So it speaks to your character, it speaks to your, you know, your spirituality. It speaks to your ability to, you know, just really make the hard decisions, you know, in spite of the consequences. So it, it really shows up as honor and a non quitting spirit and uh, um, a willingness to really take care of your teammate, even at the you know, expense of your life, if need be, just like, you know, some of my warriors had to do in, in the last you know, 10 years. So that, you know, that's a lot of words to describe integral warrior development It's kind of like developing you as a human being. So you, you kind of master yourself at those five levels, but not so that you can go out and just, you know, kick ass, uh, you know, become a multi-billionaire or look good in a bathing suit but so that you can be an honorable person who is really focused on serving others and, and you start by serving your family and then your broader community and then ultimately serve humanity at large and, and you literally go through that kind of developmental you know you expand your sense of um, service to broader and broader domains until ultimately you become what I call a world-centric warrior and so it's pretty cool. Uh, I do the training through the hard physical training through SEALFIT, mm-hmm. S-A-L-F-I-T. And like you mentioned, we have academies that are immersion academies. We have three days, five days, 21 days. Oh, God. And then these 50-hour nonstop training camps, which are kind of you know what you were talking about with GI it's modeled after hell week. Right. It's non-stop training for 50 hours, no sleep, hardcore training. And so that's the, really approaching this integrated model from the hard physical perspective. And so in that program, I get a lot of um, Navy SEAL and special ops candidates, you know, seeking to up their game, a lot of endurance athletes, crossfitters, ultra runners, and, you know, professionals who are really fit, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, so the average Joe cannot just sign up for this because you'll get your ass handed to you and you'll, you'll have, I mean, it just doesn't work.
0: Not for the Coral Camp. Yeah. However, the three-day academy is for the average Joe And that's really to teach the skills so you can go back and train and maybe two years later come test yourself at the Kakoro camp.
1: Yeah. I mean, because my friend Ben Greenfield, he took your program, one of them, and Mm -hmm. he's like an endurance athlete. He's crazy fit and awesome shape. So I think a guy like that could handle it. But a guy who's like trying to lose the last 20 pounds, like he's going to be in trouble, right?
0: Right. Totally. So yeah, it's not a weight loss camp. And, but like I said, the three day academy. You know, I have this saying, every SEAL starts with a single push-up, you know, on their training pipeline. So the three-day academy is like your first push-up. And, we, you know, I got a 67-year-old woman did it last time and she loved it.
1: That makes me feel better.
0: Yeah. And so it, it is hard, you know, it's as hard as you need to make it or want to make it for yourself. So you might have a SEAL candidate training side-by-side, that 67-year-old woman. It's equally hard for both of them because we'll push a SEAL candidate 25 times harder. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah, sure.
0: But it's not meant to just kick someone in the ass. It's meant to teach them how to do the functional fitness, how to do the mental training, you know, and give them the tools to start to train, you know, themselves. And then, you know, later on, if they're up for it, then they'll take, you know, take it to another level. Yeah. So, so that's seal, seal fit is definitely, um, rigorous training for hardy people or people who just want to be hardier in their lives.
1: Okay. And why does the emotional component go with the physical component? I know that's a dumb question, but I have to ask anyway. Part of the job.
0: Well, the approach I take is that mind-body system, mind-body-spirit is a system, right? It's really hard to separate. Um, It's hard to separate your mind from the body when it comes to working out. You know, you you even said... When we started this call, that you know, you got to treat your workout like a business or you won't do it. Well, that's just a mental trick to get you to focus on, you know, consistency of effort and discipline in your training plan. And that's that means right now, what you were telling me is that you've elevated your workout uh, because you're a strong minded individual. You've elevated that workout to a much higher level of importance. And I think that's a critical thing to do for anyone who's on kind of on this path. of optimizing their performance physically
1: and mentally. I mean, I'm the guy who skips lunch because I'm busy. So if I didn't do that, if I didn't elevate it to the level of business, if I I only put it at eating or sleeping, it still wouldn't get done. You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) Well, if you didn't eat or sleep, business wouldn't get done.
1: That's true. I just don't, I probably need to work on my eating and sleeping habits. Well, my sleep habits are actually pretty good. My eating habits, like just timing, not necessarily what I eat, but the timing is terrible a lot of the time, but so it actually comes slightly above eating, I, although those things are doing a dance, because I realize you can't work out with a trainer three times a week, not eat, and then still expect to be in one piece at the end.
0: Right, yeah, they, they do all kind of fit together, and it's, it's actually surprising how much sleep and eating are related, and how you know, you get, if you're out of balance with your food, it's gonna screw up your sleep, and if you're out of balance with your sleep, you're gonna have issues, as well, you know what I mean. So either either way, it kind of screws up your hormonal system if you don't have those in balance. Same thing with training. You're you're just much healthier when you train. Your mind is working better. You know, your whole body system is affected by the food, sleep, and the training. So you're going to be smarter if you train. You're rebuilding your brain when you train using new tools, new methods, pushing the envelope, and uh, you know, kind of like greasing the groove of courage and, and discipline some of those those character traits that you develop through physical training. You know, it's like we've kind of lost it in our society, but throughout the ages, and that's why I choose the warrior archetype, because I was a seal for 20 years, but the seals got it, but so did the samurai, so did the Spartans, you know, the whole Greek culture, you know, even even our own culture, if you look, if you go back 40 to 50 years, was much more of a physical culture, and they understood that that physical development, whether you're on the farm, working on the railroad, or, you know, training in the gym with a set of dumbbells helped develop, uh, your mind and helped develop your emotions. And that led to a character ethic that, um, helped define who you were as a human being. So, but because we've lost the physical component in our culture, people don't understand that they don't have that tool to develop that character ethic, and so they're left kind of floundering, you know what I mean? You can't develop it by eating, and you can't develop it, you know, by just, you can develop it through, you know, let's say your parents or um, team or coach. It's pretty rare. I'm a big fan of CrossFit too, but CrossFit is just really about, you know, performance. And so what I do is we use some of the methods of CrossFit in our physical training.
1: I totally get that in, it's such a interesting phenomenon because almost every successful, I guess, culture, well, every culture has warriors, right? And even sure. when I look at things like I used to live in Germany. And so when I look at old German videos or something or German history books, they have a lot of those statues of like people throwing a discus and people right. throwing a javelin and they're naked and they're like really ripped. <laughs> and you're wondering, you're like, what's the point of this? And, you know, art people have their own opinion on it, but really it's. I think it goes back to what you were saying, which is that people of any advanced culture realize that the strength of character is actually symbolized, not just symbolized in those statues, but it's also, you, you're you required to be able to pursue those types of activities well and excel at them in order to have a successful warrior or, or a successful culture in general. And so, you know, we, we look at that same thing, we probably don't even see it in America, but it's actually caught up in all of our athletes, right? It's the same thing. That's why people really worship these sports guys and, and action heroes and things like that. It's just the same thing with a different shade, different coat Absolutely. of paint.
0: Absolutely. I think that our you know, modern sports are similar in some aspects to what the uh, ancient warrior culture did. You know, They would train and compete. They would train together and compete. And so the SEALs did the same thing. We call it coopetition. Yeah, we'd do a two hour workout together and then we'd cap it off with a six or an eight mile run, and that run was a competition, bar none. And we were just, you know, going balls to the wall to try to beat each other. And um, you know, it's not unlike, you know, the Olympic Games where I think we're, we're developed out of that kind of a ethos is like we need a way to kind of test our best athletes who, who were also warriors back then. Now we've gotten away from that. Warriors don't have to be athletes and athletes don't have to be warriors in our culture for the most part, when you're talking about spec ops, like SEALs, SEALs are all athletes. And I actually use the term warrior athlete to kind of define them. Sure, That's kind of the original premise of SEAL Fit, you know, it was to develop the warrior athlete along the lines of a Navy SEAL. And so I included in that the SEALs and the SEAL candidates. So I'm going to make them ready for the challenges that face them. But I didn't limit it to them. I said, you know, there's other people who would, be really interested in would benefit from this level, this type of fitness, which is kind of a hybrid, well-rounded, high level of fitness, but you wouldn't use SealFit to prepare for the CrossFit Games or a triathlon. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just a much broader base. It develops mental toughness and durability through the training, and it's not going to make you the fastest guy, and it may not make you the strongest guy, but on average, you're going to be relatively fast, relatively strong, have incredible work capacity. You're never going to quit.
1: So who comes to the 21-day thing? I mean, that just sounds terrible. I mean, I guess, you know, the the guys who come to that and girls who come to that, are. I'm guessing those are a lot of, like, the special forces, special operations candidates where they're like, listen, I'm taking six months to get in shape for this or whatever. Right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we named it the soft immersion academy. That means soft is special ops forces. So I would say about 60, maybe even 70% of those guys our candidates for you know, either the seals or Marsac or Green Berets or Rangers, and we also get a lot of farms, too. So we've had folks from, you know, plenty of different places. You know, guys bidding for Australia SBS or British SBS or, you know, German comp swimmers. Uh, we've had Italians, uh, French, uh, Canadians, all sorts of folks who have come because there's really nothing like it, unless something's popped up recently. There's nothing that I know that is like a warrior academy like
1: this. Not for civilians to just sign up on the internet and fly out there. That's for sure. A lot of countries, they kind of don't like their special forces. The civilian population doesn't like to talk about it. It's not a cool thing among the guys. It's not really like here in, in America, it's like Navy SEALs. And of course, after, you know, the bin Laden thing kind of brought all that to the forefront where people were like, oh, SEAL Team 6, that's a thing, right? Before that, it's, it still existed. But now it's like there's movies about it, right? Whereas if you go to Germany and you ask what their special forces units are, nobody even knows. Yeah,
0: that's they, interesting.
1: They have no clue. And, and I remember looking it up and trying to find out what these things were. And there's one that's GSG-9, which is just like a border control service. And they're like elite border control because for a long time, Germany couldn't leave Germany with military because of the treaty after World War II, et cetera. But, you know, that's changed. So I think even the Kampschwimmer or whatever that you had mentioned, which by the way is news to me, that's probably new.
0: No, they've been around for 30 years maybe.
1: Yeah, Oh, I just meant like not for the last, you know, since World War II or whatever. Yeah, I, they're, I don't think, yeah, yeah
0: that's pretty new. I mean, relatively new. But that's really interesting. You know, and frankly, the, the SEALs wish it were that way here for the most part. I mean, we didn't really ask for the, the publicity of notoriety you know, in fact, there were there were some folks who were critical of me for launching NavySeal.com. dot com. Yeah, my philosophy was that if I didn't do it, then some non seal with you know would do it and screw it up.
1: And so, yeah, I'd have them out here in San Francisco doing jumping jacks on the beach. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. So I decided back in '97, you know, when I got off back to duty, that hey, this is a good opportunity to to do it right and to try to really. You know, uphold the honor of the seals and not kind of mess it up. And so, you know, I've never gotten a dime from the Navy for recruiting, but it's pretty much the number one site or has been for getting information and you know referrals and recruiting. And I even parlayed that into a nationwide mentor program on a government contract to help mentor Navy SEAL candidates. This is before SealFit, and then um, and then I launched SealFit. So, I gosh, I've spent you know since '97, I've been doing something related to. Helping the young guys, you know, kind of learn the ropes and train to become, you know, the best they could be so that they can succeed at the SEAL training, you know, and so it's kind of been my way to give back to that community, which had a big impact on me.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I'm really glad. I'm sure I'm not the only one thinking this. I'm really glad there's people out there that want to serve the country that are strong enough to go and do this, because for me, it just sounds like the worst thing that I could put myself through, which is probably a good sign that I should actually sign up for it. Um, but maybe maybe, maybe we'll give it a year so I can get back into some decent shape so I'm not the guy doing <laughs> jumping jacks and running out of breath. All right, back to it. Speaking of, of which, you talk about stress control through breath. Is that just meditation? I mean, how does that work? I took a, a course about um, where you get kidnapped at the end and they uh-huh. throw you in the back of a van and they're teaching you well, before that, they teach you how to breathe and control your adrenaline levels. Is that kind of what we're talking about?
0: Yeah, well, breath control is super powerful, and it works on you in a couple different levels. One is, you know, when we teach breath control, it's breathing through the nose. When you breathe through the nose, it draws the air deep into your, toward your belly. It activates your diaphragm. There's nerve bundles kind of beneath, behind your diaphragm, which trigger the parasympathetic nervous system. So when you when you breathe deep inhale and a slow exhale through your nose, then you're actually countering the effect of the sympathetic nervous system, which is what triggers fight, flight, or freeze. So it's it's very you know simple concept, but very not very well known around the world. That if you just slow down your breathing and breathe through your nose, then you're going to calm yourself down, and you're going to kind of maintain uh, that steady calm state as long as you breathe through your nose. If you start panicking or breathing through your mouth, and you're triggering your sympathetic nervous system again and you kind of go in the other direction. So that's kind of one of the main physiological reasons that I recommend breath control. Now, what I mean by breath control is just that taking conscious control of your breathing, not breathing through your mouth. Your mouth is designed for eating and speaking and drinking, but not breathing. Breathing is through your nose. So controlling the breath by slowing it down and consciously breathing through your nose Or And including sometimes, depending on whether you're training or whether you're actually performing, including a hold on the inhale and the exhale, which has a different kind of effect. So that's what I mean by breath control. So there's that amazing physiological adaptation that occurs of managing your stress, taking control of managing your stress. The second thing is that when we practice this, I use a technique called box breathing, which is very simple. It's a one-one-one-one ratio where you inhale to a count of let's say four or five, and then you hold your breath for that same count. Then you exhale for the same count. Then you hold your breath and you exhale for the same count. So that ratio, whether you do three, four, five, or ten count, is a, is a one-to-one-to-one-to-one ratio. Now that is a training technique that that basically rewires your automatic breathing system so that when you're in the shit, you know, either in performance or in combat or in a board fight, that you begin to automatically ratchet back into that deep diaphragmatic nostril breathing. And oftentimes you even will include a hold on it. And those go hand in hand. You know, as your body calms down, your mind calms down, but your mind will literally, because you're focusing on the breath control, you're focusing on the inhale and the count and the hold and the count, then your mind just literally just settles down. It kind of gets into that Focused state where you are focusing on the breathing, but you're still able to concentrate on what's going on around you, but with more awareness and more, you know, kind of uh, fidelity. Sure. So it's a terrific tool for being able to stay calm and focused and and to be able to perform, you know, in a high, an t- uh, in intense situation.
1: I get it. So, correct me if I'm wrong. So, the breathing and the nervous system and the adrenaline, the hormones, all that stuff is kind of like a chain, and so the one part of the chain that we can manually mess with that affects the rest of the chain or the cycle is the breathing. That's right. Okay. That's right.
0: It it is exactly, I like the way you put that. It is the thing that we can affect control over that then triggers, you know, a rebalancing of the entire system. And like we said earlier, the mind-body system is intimately linked, and so as your body comes into control, guess what, your brain is actually part of your body sure your, your mind is outside of your brain you know obviously you use the brain uh to make meaning into as part of the thinking process but your brain is actually your body and so you guys you know to say that your body is coming back into balance we're including your brain in that and so your brain's coming back into balance which means your neuroendocrine system is is rebooting and rebalancing and then that affects your thought processes right you're able to start to take control of your thoughts and all those thoughts that are racing out of control start to settle down, and you're able to kind of radar lock on what's the most important action I need to take now.
1: Yeah, that makes sense because otherwise, you're you're if you breathe a ton, you get too much oxygen or whatever, and your brain just goes into panic mode, and then you can't focus on the stuff that's important, and you end up taking a bullet or whatever. Yeah,
0: right. And, and furthermore, one one other, you know little understood part about this whole thing is that every emotion has a corresponding breath, and you could even flip that and say every breathing pattern will trigger an emotion. And so, you know, part of this idea of emotional control and mental control being intimately linked is that, you know, the more focus you get on your breathing and calm and you're doing that calming breath, then guess what? Your emotional state starts to get balanced and in control. It really is a secret weapon for, you know, for anyone. You know, I teach it to seal candidates. I've been doing stuff since 2007. And yeah, you know, they totally rely on it to just maintain that calm, focused, alert awareness throughout the day during the training, and then it spills over into you know, when the combatants and you know in in the war zone.
1: Gotcha. All right, and yeah, that makes that makes sense for this is so much more important for somebody in that moment. But I can see how this would come into play. You're about to go into a negotiation. You think, or you're a meeting. You think you're going to get fired. Absolutely. Or you're, hell, you're about to go ask out a girl that you've been eyeballing for three months. I mean, who knows? There's a lot of functionality now that I think about it.
0: Well, and it's, it's actually great that you said that because it allows me to bring up the other program that I developed. Is, is called Unbeatable Mind. And that, I developed that because a lot of folks, like you said, you know, see if it looks cool, but there's no way in hell I'm going to do that. But I'm really interested in what you're teaching, you know. And is there any way that I can learn some of that, but without you know getting kicked in the balls? I took the kind of the inner development tools that I was teaching all the uh, soft candidates, and I built a 12 month training program around that. And it's a digital program called Beetle Mind. And I wrote another book called Beetle Mind, which I'm just coming out um, with the fourth edition in January. And so there, you know, we we teach all of the techniques of uh, all the different breathing techniques, meditation. You know, I have a yoga program I developed called Warrior Yoga that I teach the athletes and the warriors and a few thousand people in the program. And, you know, almost every one of them says it's changed your life because it's the first time they've been able to integrate some of these really cool things that, I, you know, I learned through my martial arts and through the SEALs and through, you know, 15 years of yoga training. And I've trying to teach them in a very Western way, you know, so sure. you don't have to join a you know, yoga studio or put a gi on.
1: Yeah, it can be tough because somebody who wants to learn this stuff doesn't want to spend eight years getting a black belt or second degree black belt and something just to learn how to control their breathing.
0: That's right. And most people, you know, yoga is the oldest personal development system known to mankind. It's extraordinarily powerful. But most people think it's just about, you know, getting a pair of spandex pants on and, and twisting your body into a pretzel. And that's one aspect of yoga. But it doesn't have to be spandex pants. You don't have to be in a yoga studio with a bunch of girls in 110 degree heat you know i've I've been doing yoga with seal cannons now we don't use any sanskrit terms there's no mythology it's just basically you know we're going to do warrior one warrior two twisting warrior humble warrior exalted warrior and then we're going to breathe you know what i mean and we tie it to the performance benefits and flexibility durability spinal health physiological and psychological control and uh, they are like Gosh, this is awesome. You know what I mean? They just love it. And it helps them. It helps integrate. It yeah. takes the breathing into a movement, which the guys love. And they're like, okay, I get this. So the practicing my breathing is going to make me more focused and alert. And I get to move instead of just sit there. You know what I mean? Um, which is what everyone else said. So you got to sit, sit there and meditate. And my approach is, no, you don't. You know what I mean? You can actually move. The point is to be mindful, you know, to really be focused and, and get your mind under control. We Use the breath as our training method for that, our focal point for that. But, you know, over time, you may want to be able to be sitting in silence. But for most warriors and athletes, especially in the West here, you know, just taking them straight from what they've been doing to sitting in a silence for 45 minutes a day is not going to work.
1: Sure. Yeah, no, not at all. And it sounds like a waste of time if you don't know about the other benefits or you don't think about the other benefits. What about the the emotional control and things like that that you mentioned with Unbeatable Mind and with SealFit? How does that transition over into everyday life? Because I think a lot of people are like, sure, yeah, benefits of psychological control. Well, I don't feel like I'm not in psychological control. Um, how is this going to help me? I mean, I think, you know, shedding some light on how these emotional... Benefits actually take take shape in your regular life when you're not running and surf would be really helpful.
0: Well, I would say one, you know, approach is very simple. The most successful people in the world happen to have the largest depth and span of emotional development, and it, it allows them to be exceptional leaders. It allows them to uh, really, um, you, you know, understand and and be you know, like intimately. Connected with those people that are important to them. It allows them to take great risks, right? It tends to speak to maturity as a human being. So if you're emotionally developed, then you tend to be operating at the highest levels of consciousness. You know, and and I would say even from the perspective of what I've learned in yoga and the martial arts, that we grow and we learn most when we're emotionally engaged at you know at a complete and authentic level so what i mean by that is just a you know if you think about like the who's still piped in you know an academic institution you know they're kind of cold and physically they're not really connected to their bodies and they, they literally might have 10 ton brains but they're emotional infants right and their families are falling apart and you know, I'm just making a broad generalization. Sure. My point is, you know, I, I saw this when I was getting my doctorate um, at the University of San Diego and I failed on it. Actually, I failed when I was um, recalled active duty and had to go over to Iraq. I decided not to go back, even though I had literally two courses and then my dissertation because I didn't see any true, authentic leadership amongst my professors. They were intellectual and cold in that sense of, you know, being devoid of the heart and the spirit of what leading meant. And that was not appealing to me and I thought, well, leadership is not just a theory, you know, it's, it's, it's about, you know, it's about really understanding other human beings and really getting into a relationship with them where they, you know, are completely motivated and trusting you to, you know, support them to help meet their goals, you know, and, and that helps you meet your goals. You know, I guess this is kind of a long-winded way of saying emotional development is, is, Probably, you know, it's the, the holy grail of character development. And but you can't get there. You have to get there through kind of a, a multi-pronged approach. You know, it's, it's difficult to just say, I'm going to gonna, I'm gonna go develop my emotions. Well, how do you do that? You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. we approach it by taking people to places they don't really want to go physically. And we approach it by taking place, people places that they're not comfortable with mentally. Right. And so by pushing these boundaries of areas that we do have familiarity with, which is what I mean by physical, you know, physically we put people like seven people under a log. And if you're not all operating in complete sync, meaning you're communicating uh the same things at the same time and you're moving the same physically moving in the same, you know, movements, then guess what? You're you're just actually not gonna be able to do the task. And um emotionally you're gonna experience that as anger or frustration or you know, you're going to lash out at your teammate, that training event takes people both physically and mentally way out of their comfort zone, and we keep them under that pressure until they begin to galvanize and develop that emotional synchronicity at a team level, and they grow from that, right? That experience is profound for them.
1: Sure, yeah, they they begin to adapt under the pressure, right? Because they can't, they have to keep going.
0: They have to keep going, you know, or they could quit, right? So that's always an option which shows a lack of emotional maturity there. You know, and that happens all the time. You know, we had a guy who literally quit in the first 20 minutes of our 50-hour camp because, you know, we were just on him like wet and rice. We were doing a, a screening test just to see if, you know, the guys, if everyone had come in. And this guy was doing air squats, and he was doing half the range of motion that we, you know, our standard was. And so, we, you know, I came by, and I, you no know, repped him on about five reps and he got frustrated with me and then another coach came by and no repped him and another, finally my director of training came by and no repped him and he just ripped his shirt off and threw it in his face and walked off the grinder you know oh, wow. we, never, we never saw him again that's a great example where he was a stud physically like there's no question that he could do the task but he just hadn't trained he was probably uh, part pissed at us and part pissed at himself and couldn't get it under control and so you know, that was his major lesson, and he was a hothead, and he lacked that control. And, and guess what? No hotheads make it through SEAL training. I'm sure. No egotistical guys make it through SEAL training. You know, a lot of times, the first person to quit is the stud, you know, high school or college quarterback of the football team, you know, where, that everything came easy to. And they were used to, you know, being, getting all the girls and all the praise. And, and guess what? SEAL instructors don't give a shit who you are. Everyone's the same in their eyes tall, small, black, white, or red, and you know what, you just gotta perform, and you gotta be a good teammate. You know, there might be an Olympic swimmer to your left, and uh, a national wrestling champion to your right, and you might have been a farm guy, Five hundred so more to go the cows and pitch bells all day long, mean, there might be the farm guy who, who's standing there at the end, you know what I mean? Because it just can work longer and harder than everyone else.
1: That's interesting. It must really suck to be in this, like, kick-ass shape, super good at everything everyone's always on your ass like yeah you're so great or i should say up your ass and then you get to this place where nobody cares who you are and what you've done and they're just like no these air squats don't count and you're like you just probably want to cry after that." <laughs> exactly. you don't even get to keep the t-shirt man just go home just go home oh that's awful yeah that's uh <laughs> that's great all right so I definitely understand how that stuff spills over, and obviously, anybody who's done anything really tough can sort of see how that would spill over. You run businesses now too, so you'll get this. But like, you know, you'll you'll get somebody who's like, "I don't want to do this," and this 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 is fails, or this project fails, or this initiative doesn't work. And the new members of the team are like, "Oh my god, this sucks! What are we gonna do? I can't believe it! Oh, this is terrible!" And me and my business partners who've been doing this for eight years were like, "Man, this is not unusual. This happens. It's fine." You're going to be okay. It sucks now. It means a lot of work. We threw a lot of money in the toilet on this one, but it's not going to break us. You know, not all this other hard stuff we've gone through in the past didn't break us. But I definitely remember panicking over little things early on in the business. Like, we're going to go bankrupt. Sure. Oh, my God, I have to get a job now. This is the end of the world. Three <laughs> weeks later, you don't even remember what it was.
0: Exactly. Well, you know, that's a, you bring up a great point. We definitely kind of get more resilient as we age and go through the experiences in life us in the balls. What I try to do is say, you know, I have this saying, well, we like to go to the challenge before the challenge comes to us. And so you can train for resiliency by literally creating those challenges or having us create them for you so that you got to overcome them in a controlled environment, you know, we're the teammate. And then you take that knowledge, you know, new insights and newfound wisdom back and it helps you perform better, you know, so then the next time. Challenge comes, you're like, you know, that's easy because I went through 50 hours of non stop training with Coach Devine out in San Diego, and you know, everything after that seems pretty easy.
1: Sure, yeah, yeah, exactly. I can imagine, don't people pass out during 50 hours of staying awake (laughs) and working out? I I don't understand how that works.
0: Well, you we have the saying that you're capable of 20 times more than you think you are, and, and Kokoro camp will prove it to you. You know, I in the SEAL teams, I did six days. In Hell Week, I mean, six days, no sleep, around the clock training, and yeah, you're right. Most people don't think it's possible, but you know, by the time you're on your third day, you start to get stronger, and you know, your body, you know, kind of adapts. I mean, you're technically with all, with all the lack of sleep, you're probably equivalent to you know a total drunk with a three BAC, but your experience is that you're getting stronger. And I actually started to develop muscle mass, and I remember laughing it up and just coking and joking with my teammates on thursday of hell week we had been up since sunday and the instructors are like what the hell divine you know why are you in such a good mood you know we're going to break you and i was like you're not going to break me There's, you know you'd have to kill me to get me out of this class because i was having such a good time you know what i mean yeah it, it's wow. the weirdest thing and so people experience that in you know the first 12 hours are just brutal for them and then you know maybe they you know sunrise comes up on saturday morning we start the training you know about 12 o'clock on Friday. It's rough. The first night is rough. There's no question about it. But those people who make it to so Saturday morning, the sun rises and it starts warming their face and they get a, you know, some food in their belly and they're just like, oh, man, yeah, I feel great. And so they, they have all these kind of like these lows like you experienced. Yeah, people do. Like we've had people who are elite athletes just riding in pain, cramped, you know, body totally cramping for an hour on the beach and hydrate them. And then we get them back in the game and there they are. 15 hours later, just cranking along, carrying someone else's rucksack who's having a, you know, a struggle. You know, it's just extraordinary. You know, you, we just teach people to get through the sticking point, which most people think is the end. And then, like, at 20 minutes or an hour later, they can't remember. Like you said, they can't remember that there was a distant memory that they almost quit or that they thought they couldn't go on. Sure. So a big part of our training is not to attract and to get people to quit like the SEALs do because they don't give a shit. You know, either you got it or you don't. Right. But for us is to like take you to that edge and then to, to give you the tools like breath control, visualization, positivity, you know, taking care of your teammates instead of, you know, suffering in your own pity party and all these tools that we coach them on. And, you know, we, we have these coaches who are like horse whisperers. We're always there with them saying, hey, you know, you got to think about this and get your mind off that. and Just go one more, you know, one more round or you know, five more steps. And, you know, pretty soon they are over the hump and off to the races and they might be the strongest guy in the class, you know, an hour later and helping the teammates out.
1: That sounds really cool. I mean, it makes me want to get in Ben Greenfield shape and go through it. It's so cool to think that you can really take yourself that far. How many SEALs quit during Hell Week? I would imagine it's probably a few, but after you get that far, I mean, it seems like such a damn shame.
0: Well, you know, Hell Week is only, when I went through, it was like week seven of the training, and, and it's nine months long, and, and Hell Week, I think, is like fourth novice. Nowadays, it's like week four, because they want to get it over with, and they want to you know, call the class as quick as possible. Sure. So, so generally, the stats are, every year, several thousand people apply, 975 make it into the training, and then um, that equals over five classes, that equals about 175 to 200 per class, okay? So of that, let's just use 200 as a round number. The 200 people who start, by the time Hell Week rolls around four weeks later, you're already down to about 80 to 90, okay? So um, over half the class has already quit. And then Hell Week starts with 80. Let's just use 80 as a round number. It's going to end with 40. So another half will quit during Hell Week. And then the 40 will train for the next nine months. And at the end of the training, there's about 20 of them
1: left. Oh my god. So out of thousands, so you might be one in a thousand.
0: Pretty much, yeah. If you want to, if you want to start the count from everyone who goes to a recruiter and says they want to be a SEAL, yeah, you're probably have the same level uh, same chances as getting into a restaurant.
1: Wow, yeah. That uh, that checks out. I mean, I guess I thought Hell Week was at the end. I don't know why. That's why I don't train Navy SEALs. Um, <laughs> so,
0: maybe you saw that in
1: I Who knows? Maybe. that Again, that is my entire experience. Well, actually, we get a ton of SEALs at the Art of Charm live training programs because it, it's a tough thing. We put you through the mental and emotional <laughs> ringer, too, and they just love it. After SEALs training and all these special forces and special ops and intelligence guys, they love to come through the Art of Charm. They love this stuff because it's like... I guess at a certain point after you go through that training, you're just trying to find out the next challenge that you can do that's going to tax you emotionally. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Glutton for punishment. It's like, Oh, you know, you made it through hell week. Fine. We're going to ask you to talk about your mom. Oh wait. Yeah. I, I didn't see that in the brochure, man. No, <laughs> I didn't see that in the brochure. No
0: question. A lot of seals would rather go back to hell week than talk about their emotions.
1: Oh yeah. And that's, and that's exactly where we go. And a lot, you know, especially like the green beret guys come through and, they're taught a lot of this, like connecting with people, and it's like that's sort of where they make their money, quote unquote, is connecting with people, and then they come through AOC and they're like, "This is great. You should teach the, you should teach everyone this." And we're like, "Cool, yeah. Bring us the, bring us whoever signs the contracts for the government. We'll get right on that." What about intuition and trusting your gut? You know, you mentioned that early in the conversation, and that is something I'm very interested in because that type of thing actually saved my life once. Uh, I've sure. told the story on the show many times, but I was in a cab and I thought I was being abducted and it turns out that I was. And I didn't wait until we got to the secondary location, the proverbial place where no one can hear you scream. I found myself going, oh, well, maybe I'm wrong or maybe this isn't. And then I was like, wait a minute. This is a rationalization. This is this is why people die. Because right. this is why people go, why didn't you fight? Because you talked yourself out of it. I'm not gonna be that guy who ends up in a basement in Mexico City because I thought, oh, this can't be happening to me. That intuition, trusting your gut, I, I've worked years on honing that because it's like, wow, this can't be more important. It's
0: hugely important. And most people, they don't take the time or take it seriously. You know, they might have this hunch that the phone is going to ring and when it does. They're like, oh, is not that cool? That's super important information, you know? So essentially, imagine that all around you is this field of information that's knowledge. You know, it's like the matrix. And we can either open up to that or we can shut ourselves off to that. The, the interface between us and that field is our aura, right? It's that, it's that energetic field that they've been able to photograph and it kind of wraps around our whole body. Now, in order to to be able to transfer information between you know, our aura and the universal field of knowledge, which is where you got that information, and I get my intuitive flashes, you, know, you have to have your mind kind of tuned for it. And the best way to tune your mind for it Initially, or at least start training for this, open your mind to literally to start thinking that that is important information. You know, the, the feeling I get in my gut or the sensation that ran up my spine or the, you know, the hair standing up on my arm or the imagery that pops into my head. Now that's really important information. so you're basically telling your mind to tune into that. You know what I mean? Tune into those vibrations, not deny them or suppress them or ignore them. Right. I've had many, many experiences like that. Like a similar thing that happened to me, which was I was at a shooting range and I was, it was early in the morning, like 5 a.m. And I was the first group to go up to the range. And, you know, it was pretty, we were casual at that point because we were out of uh, basic SEAL training. You know, instructors were more our
1: teammates at that point. Humane humane is the word you're looking for, I think. They were a little more humane. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. Like we weren't having to do push ups on the way to the range, let's put it that way. So I'm walking to the range, and I felt the word stop. It was overpowering, almost like I ran into a wall. I didn't hear the word stop. I didn't have any imagery at that time, but I just felt, stop, I better stop. And I did, like right then I stopped. And a millisecond later, a nine-millimeter round cracked off behind me, and the bullet went whizzing right by my ear.
1: Oh, my God. And
0: had I not, had I taken that next step, it would have gone right in the back of my head. And it was a teammate of mine who had an accidental discharge. He didn't intentionally try to shoot me, but he came pretty damn close. And then I've had plenty of others that I didn't pay attention because the risk wasn't as high where something stupid happened. You know what I mean? Like I got injured training for the CrossFit Games Open in the Master Division, and it was my back went out. But during that workout, I had an image flash in my head of my back going out and me falling down on the ground. That literally image. Came into my head halfway through the workout, and I ignored it because I was wrapped up with a couple of the guys, and you know we were getting going at it. And sure enough, on the very last deadlift, boink! You know, wow.
1: tore a muscle in my
0: back. I landed on my back, and I remember thinking to myself, "You idiot! You know, this did not need to happen."
1: Yeah. So, what do you think's happening there? Because it's not psychic premonitions. Is no. is it part of your brain going? hey, I've got these weird signals coming from your back and the only way I can articulate this to you is to show you kind of like this weird dream sequence that you're probably going to ignore.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably it. Like the your, the wisdom of your body is telling you, hey, watch out and is, is showing you a premonition of a possible future. You know, that's certainly one way to do it. And if you want to think of it at a more, you know, kind of bizarre, esoteric quantum physics level, it's that maybe that future, you know, has already happened and so you're just, you're getting a, another glimpse of, it. you know, when they do studies with remote viewing, you know, mm-hmm. they did one study out of, I think, Yale, and they had guys remote viewing a location out in the desert. How about half of the remote viewers saw an old gas station, you know? And so, we're, you know, just for the listener, remote viewing, they literally give you just a grid reference. You have no visual imagery of where this location is. It could be around the world or it could be in your backyard, but there's no visual reference just a grid or or a you know, geolocation or something like that. And you basically just will yourself to that location mentally. And, you know, you, you pick up imagery, and it's proven to be extraordinarily effective. And you get better at it, you know, as you practice it. But guys, you know, in the military, there were some SEALs who participated in this project, along with some others, uh, were able to kind of like draw pretty intricate pictures of locations. And so they're using it to kind of like spy on, you know, Soviet, you know, Soviet like nuclear sites and stuff like that. Then the Soviets were doing similar, you know, things against us. But anyways, back to this test. So
1: I didn't know that was real. I thought that oh, yeah. was a conspiracy theory bullshit. No, I, no,
0: no. It's very real. It's very real. It's going on today, and it's pretty cool. Remote viewing is pretty interesting. Yeah. So, but the, they've done studies at university level. So this this Yale study, about half the uh, folks. We were able to see, you know, saw this old kind of like gas station. And sure enough, at that location in the desert, it was an old gas station. So they're like, cool, you know, this works. But the other half saw like this old army barracks, this row of army barracks. And the researchers are like, what the hell?
1: You know? Yeah, that's random because if one person does it, they're just making shit up. But if like yeah, if a whole a number yeah, if a battery of people see the same thing independently, right, then there's something else in play there that they have to find out what that is.
0: It turns out that in the past, you know, during World War One or two, it was used as a training base. You know, so they had built you know these makeshift barracks, and they're out there doing you know desert mobility exercises.
1: Long since gone, huh?
0: Yeah. Long since gone. No trace. No trace That's there.
1: interesting. That's like, have you seen interstellar? Yeah. It's like that almost, you know, that right. is crazy. I had no idea. So how does that then come back to your intuition? It's kind of like trusting that is kind of like doing the almost like doing the remote viewing type of thing where you're thinking, uh, I should stop. And then zing, a bullet goes by your head. How do you separate that from confirmation bias? You know what I mean? Yeah. How do you do that? Do you do that?
0: Well, you know what, confirmation bias is the way your brain kind of tricks you. So, yeah, I think intuition is more of a felt thing. Confirmation bias is kind of like, you know, it's more of your mind, you know, basically convincing itself it's right because, you know, the like classic example is, you know, you want to buy a red car, and all of a sudden you see all these red cars, you know, and you just you confirm to yourself that reds must be the best color car to buy because everyone else is driving the red car. Yeah. Malcolm Gladwell talks about confirmation bias in his book, Blink, and it's, it's pretty interesting. And there's no question that your brain will play tricks on you. That's why I think, you know, what I call in my training, the whole mind, the whole mind includes, you know, the whole, you know, all of the organs that interface with knowledge, right, to create kind of wisdom. And so that includes the brain. It includes your spinal column and your nervous system. It includes your heart. It includes your belly, right? And probably, it also includes your skin and your aura. Right. And so that your consciousness, you know, uses all of those aspects uh, to create meaning and to, you know, send and receive information. And so I just have this much broader, and most seals do too, this much broader concept of mind than just, hey, your brain is, you know, sending and receiving neuroendocrine systems, you know, signals or electrical signals.
1: Well, sure. And, and maybe it takes a lot of crazy body punishment to get you through there. But I mean, they do say now that there's, numerous studies and i've heard this from people that aren't kooks that say that there's neurons and things like that all through your stomach and your gut and they're like what are are these for why are these here and that now they're starting to say maybe you think with your whole body
0: you think with your whole body and i believe that because that's was kind of proven to me through my experiences in the field you know that when your body was completely alert usually because of the elevated level of risk and then training in a very like Pristine natural environment for weeks on it, you know, because we would go out and train in the wilderness and with the same 12 or 14 guys, and so you know we would go for days with barely speaking a few words to each other, but we knew exactly what each other were thinking. We we're just that intuitive, and we could sense what, when wildlife was nearby, and you know we just could sense danger. It was really cool. It was felt at a whole body level. It's like this right. knowingness. You couldn't really quite pinpoint how you knew it, but you just kind of knew it.
1: That actually makes a lot of sense because when you're not out in a in the middle of nowhere with the, the same group of people, there's all this weird input from like city lights and artificial noise that, that we aren't really evolved as a species to really deal with. I mean, it's there because we made it. But when you're out in the middle of, of nowhere with your tribe of Navy SEALs busting their tail and working really closely with one another, the only input is the stuff that's naturally occurring that your brain instinctively knows what it is and is not.
0: That's exactly right. So you have all the distractions in the city life, and also you have the, the social construct uh, thought patterns, which kind of define the way you think. So you know, anyone who lived in Manhattan, I don't know where where are you right now?
1: I'm in San Francisco. I used to live in Manhattan, but I'm from Detroit, so I got all kinds of urban. Bro- so remember,
0: around. remember in Manhattan, you know, there was this kind of social meme, I guess, that the world revolved around Manhattan. And then if you if you were to leave Manhattan, you know, you would basically be missing out on a big chunk of life. know that? It's just this weird sense that Manhattan is the epicenter of the universe.
1: People still think that. And when you go, when I go back to visit, it's easy to pick that vibe right up because you're like, wow, there's so much going on yep. here. All the new stuff is out here. All the trends start here. Right. And people think that in San Francisco too, I'm sure.
0: I bet. But my point is that that's kind of like a social meme that, that is a thought structure Shared by the everybody, most everybody in the city, and it becomes part of your thought pattern, which then blocks off other thoughts, right? It, it limits you. So you get into these ruts because of the social memes in, in large cities that you don't get into in the wilderness. In the wilderness, your mind frees up and it can roam and it can, you know, and if you spend enough time in the wilderness, then emotionally, you know, everything starts to settle down. I think your probably vibration as a human being starts to elevate and you notice that the animals that are really, they stay away from you when you first enter wilderness. When you're in the wilderness for days or weeks, you know, then they, they, because you're much more in tune and less distracted and more kind of grounded, so to speak, then the animals become less fearful of you and they'll come around and, and you know, check you out and say hi and stuff like that.
1: I always thought that was interesting when I was younger. We have a cottage up north and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, there's a lot of deer and stuff like that. And when you first get up there, yeah, all the wildlife, even the dogs from the neighbors are kind of staying away from you. And, of course, animals that are pets, they get used to you and whatnot. But So that explains part of it. But, yeah, if if we're up there for the whole week or two weeks when I was younger during the winter, I could be sitting out, you know, outside in the freezing cold, which I eventually got used to, ice fishing or something like that, and a deer would just walk by.
0: Yeah. And you're like,
1: holy cow, that's amazing. And, of course... You know, you're you're just ten thousand times more relaxed. There's a reason people leave cities and go to the wilderness to chill out, right? Right. Uh, Because we're we're supposed to be doing that. And yeah, that is super interesting. And what am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I feeling when you start to detect these little animals running around in the woods near you when you're hiking day number eight, you know, in Isle Royal, Michigan? You start to feel that. And yeah, you can look behind you and you realize, uh, you know, you're you're just in sync with the whole troop of whatever Boy Scouts or whoever you're with. Your family, it does become much sharper because you don't have eight thousand pieces of input like you do when you're sitting in Chicago. Absolutely. So very cool. I I love the fact that you can train that. I'd never really thought about training that, but it's totally. It makes total sense that it's possible.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just look at it. You know, one of your intelligences. You know, not unlike musical intelligence or the ability to learn a language. You know, if you focus on it, uh, you will develop it. You know, so. The physical, mental, emotional, intuitional, and the warrior spirit, the coral spirit. You know, I chose those because they're so important to the warrior. But you know, like we've been talking about, it they're they're also really important to anybody. You know, the, the corporate warrior or you know the family warrior, and uh, tend to be really powerful but to focus on that and to try to develop yourself in an integrated fashion. And you kind of, my sense that you unlock accelerated growth.
1: Excellent. Thanks so much, Mark. Mark Divine SealFitNavySeals yeah. dot com unbeatable mind we're gonna link all that stuff up in the show notes is there anything i didn't ask you that you feel compelled to deliver <laughs> no i think we're good i know the audience is gonna love this thank you very thank very you. much this yep, is thank awesome you, jordan yep, happy right. holidays. Take you care. too okay. awesome stuff with mark divine stress control through breath emotional control in life intuition and trusting your gut all very very important topics life-saving as you heard here NavySeals.com, SealFit training, and unbeatable mind stuff will all be linked up in the show notes. And guys, if you liked it or you hated it or you got a suggestion for somebody else, the show's a fanarchy. I want you to run those things by me. I want to communicate with you. We rely on you to help keep our finger on the pulse of all this stuff going on out there. If you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let me know. Jordan at theArtOfCharm.com, really easy to reach. Trust me. If you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank Mark on Twitter. We're gonna have that linked up in the show notes as well. And Boot Camp, our live program details at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. It's real easy. Just go to the site, click on bootcamp. If you're listening to this, but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher, well, you're probably terrible at a lot of other things, including running your life and your podcast feed. But seriously, go to iTunes, Stitcher, subscribe, and we would love a review as well. Of course, we have our iPhone and Android apps available at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone or slash Android. They're free. They do largely what other podcast apps do, except they are from us. So hopefully hopefully that gets you guys listening regular. And special thanks to the Jasons for their help and production of the Art of Charm podcast. Tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week. Go out there and get social and leave everything and everyone, including yourself, better than you found them.